0: Thanks for joining us for another Sunday morning message from City Church. City Church meets downtown Iowa City, Iowa on the Pedestrian Mall on Sundays at 10.30am. DM us on our Facebook page for more information, or go to our website at www.iowacity.church. Alright, well I want to first start this morning with our our passage for today, which is um, from the book of Galatians in the Bible. Um, This is the Apostle Paul's letter to a group of Christians in in the area of Galatia and we talked, we read something from his letter last week, we're kind of continuing on. This is Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 and then 13 through 23, Christ has liberated us to be free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to be free brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by each other. I say then, walk by the spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh, these are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you, want to do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, Factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance. As I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Well, you guys know the 4th of July is coming up a week from tomorrow, and this is the time when Americans are talking about freedom, celebrating freedom. I want you guys to know that, uh, what? Okay, I want you guys to know that I wrote my sermon before the Supreme Court ruling uh, on Friday, and I was already thinking about freedom, but since Friday, a lot of Americans are having pretty strong feelings about freedom and rights. All related to the Roe versus Wade ruling. Uh, And those who are celebrating the decision of the Supreme Court, you know, they're celebrating that the unborn are going to have a chance at life outside the womb. Others are mourning the loss of freedoms for women to have autonomy, not just to decide, you know, whether they have another child or not, but to make what could be critical life or death decisions with their doctors. If you're visiting today and I'm not your pastor that's okay I am mostly speaking as a pastor um, to people who you know call this city church and if you want to take in some of the things that I share that's fine if not that's okay but as your pastor if you're catching this later online or right here in the room I just want to counsel you to speak with humility and sensitivity and love no matter you know where you are at on this issue no matter you know, whether you prioritize um, the rights of women versus the rights of the unborn. And why am I asking you this to be sensitive and walk with humility? It's because there are people on both sides of this issue and people in the middle who sincerely want what's best for all of humanity, who arrive at their decisions and opinions out of concern with what they genuinely believe is for the greater good, and often after lots of deep theological reflection. Now, are there people who this doesn't describe? Sure, but there are many people who are, who are well-meaning and have arrived at their conclusions. So I want to just counsel you not to categorically villainize someone who has a different op- opinion. I want to counsel you to speak carefully, because it's quite likely that people you speak with will be hurting or afraid, or could be hurt by a comment that you make. Um, hurting for so many reasons. Hurting because this issue brings up memories of trauma from the past. Mm-hmm. Hurting because um, they might be dealing with infertility and miscarriage. Hurting because maybe they have been sexually assaulted. Um, afraid of being powerless, afraid of being under-resourced or voiceless. So as Christians, you know we believe in the dignity of of all human beings that were made in the image of God. So whoever you are speaking with, I just ask you to honor the image of God in that person, whether you agree or disagree with them. And then I just wanna counsel you to listen with humility when you're in a conversation with someone who has a different opinion from you, just to lay aside your defenses and listen. Um, Our nation's devolved into utter factionalism around a lot of issues. And if we're followers of Christ, we really must refuse to um, engage in factionalism, but lean into the Holy Spirit to help us um, talk about this issue and not contribute to dehumanizing one another. I know that um, uh, for some of you, uh, and especially those maybe who aren't here today, have been wondering like, gosh, what's Heather's opinion about all this? Like, what side does she come down on? Why has she been silent on social media? Um, I don't think, uh, I, re- I read something another pastor wrote today and he said, I just want to encourage you not to pastor the internet if you are a pastor. And so that's why I'm keeping my remarks personal, like for people who are associated with City Church, but I'll just tell you what my silence has meant. And it's just meant that I've been hurting a lot in the last couple days. And I've, I've been hurting because of all the pain that so many people are experiencing right now um, and hurting because... There is some hypocrisy of those who are in power who witness to being, you know, pro-life but so evidently don't protect life in other areas. I'm hurting for unwanted children, both unborn and children in the foster system. Um, I'm hurting because our society has trouble imagining or even moving toward creating a nation where women can thrive and flourish and children can thrive and flourish without even... Wanting abortion um, as uh, Karen's follow prior said in her new New York Times editorial on Friday She said I wish we could live, you know in a nation where abortions not only unwanted But it's unthinkable because we have such a broad support System and such a great safety net and so much accountability for fathers so I'm hurting because um, there are situations that legislations and laws can't account for and there are some really horrific situations that women i know have been in while pregnant that um, it's really tough to make a law about and these are horrors that you wouldn't even dream of unless you yourself went through them or you're an obstetrician or a med student Um, so i'm hurting for all those reasons and i'm not going to come down on a side for you today i think what i'm hoping to do is model what it looks like to hold just a lot of values, intention, uh, a lot of um, biblical values, intention, and, and to just create space for that in that conversation. Um, if you have a strong sense or uh, a strong stance in one particular direction or another, you are welcome here. I love you. Um, I just ask every person who calls himself a follower of Christ to use your freedom to honor and love your neighbor as you have these conversations and dialogues because I believe God is watching us. I believe we do have to account for how we interact with our neighbors in in difficult conversations. So I wanna go back to our passage for today uh, where the Apostle Paul is writing to early Christians about the idea of Christian freedom, freedom in Christ. And I don't know if what I'm about to say is gonna be surprising or uncomfortable Uh, But, freedom in Christ that the scripture talks about doesn't have anything to do with the freedom of religion. Freedom in Christ doesn't have anything to do with the right to bear arms. Freedom in Christ doesn't have anything to do with freedom of speech. Um, Freedom in Christ definitely doesn't have anything to do with pursuing happiness as we define happiness oftentimes in our country. Um, Freedom in Christ, Christian freedom, is really meant to be used for the sake of God and neighbor. It's meant to be used out of love for God and neighbor. The problem is, you know, we're all so full of self-centered desires. You know, that that doesn't make us evil. It makes us human. We um, just, it's a reality. We all have desires that have to do with gratifying, you know, physical um, longings, emotional longings. And, Yet Paul says when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we receive the Holy Spirit of God, we are free from being enslaved to all those desires. We don't have to indulge all of them. The Spirit gives us power to make different choices. So, and this is my main point for today, in order to love God and our neighbor, we really have to use our Christian freedom to walk in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit rather than by the desires of the sinful nature, as, as Paul would call it. So I want us to look at this passage again a little bit closely. Um, in the last four chapters of Paul's letter, and he didn't write with chapters, we just organized things that way, but in the last little bit of his letter, he's been telling these young, new-to-the-faith Christians that when they put their faith in Christ, they were liberated from trying to earn their salvation by following the law of Moses perfectly. If you don't know what he means by the law of Moses or what I mean, usually we're thinking about the first five books of the Old Testament, which is the very beginning of your Bible. Sometimes people mean all the laws that are listed in there. Ceremonial laws, ritual laws, cultural laws, and moral laws. And that's what we talked about last week because some of the Jewish Christians were telling the non-Jewish Christians that they had to follow that law of Moses in order to be right with God and specifically that they had to be circumcised in order to be in the family of God because circumcision was a marker of being acceptable to God. And Paul was telling them, you've got this all wrong. You don't have to be enslaved to this law anymore because it's impossible to earn right standing with God. It's only through our faith in Christ. And Paul told them, don't lay a burden on other Christians to follow this law and tell them that they're not saved if they're not circumcised. Now, the law is a helpful teacher. The law teaches us about the ways of God. It gives us moral guidance, but following it perfectly is impossible, so we can't be saved by it. And um, if you go back to that, Paul says you're gonna be in slavery, but now he's turning his attention to a different kind of slavery. He says in verse one, and then I'll jump to verse 13, Christ has liberated us to be free. Stand firm, then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to be free, brothers, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity of the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. First of all, when you guys hear the word flesh used by Paul, I don't want you to think about your flesh and blood physical bodies, which the writer of Genesis quoted God saying, God said this was good, like our physical bodies are good. When Paul says flesh, he means to say a sinful nature or or self-gratifying desires that we have. A Christian worldview says that we all have a sinful nature. It's I kind of think about it as like Gollum in like The Lord of the Rings, like a, a greedy, needy little goblin that's clamoring for th- what it wants, you know, regardless of whether it serves God and our neighbor. Now, we don't always listen to this greedy, needy goblin that's inside us, but often it shouts at us. And Paul is saying here, serving the flesh is in direct opposition to, to loving your neighbor. And love for the neighbor is paramount if we're a follower of Christ. Everything set out in the law of Moses in the Old Testament, we don't have to follow every ceremonial and cultural restriction in order to be right with God, but the moral laws basically amount to loving our neighbor as ourself. First loving God with all that we are, and then loving our neighbor. And if we learn anything from the law, that's what it boils down to. So Paul says in verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. The whole Christian community can go up in smoke if you don't use your freedom to love one another. And this is what I was getting at a few minutes ago, you know, about the conversation right now about Roe versus Wade. We all have passionate feelings, and the flesh is probably clamoring to boast or be arrogant or slander others. and the community of God can go up in smoke. And we're seeing, you know, little groups go up in smoke here and there because of the dissension and faction and, and um, fleshly way of relating, if you will. So Paul's painfully aware of this possibility for the Galatians. Um, he's thinking, gosh, I've done so much work to teach them the ways of Christ. All of this could amount to nothing if they continue to just be enslaved to their flesh. And then he makes this point in verse 16. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, you're walking in freedom. You have the freedom to Say no to the desires of the flesh. If you're led by the spirit, you're able to love your neighbor and you're fulfilling the moral law of God in a new way, in a non-literal way. Some of you might be sitting here watching, thinking, well, what's the difference? Like, how do I know? You know, when what it looks like to follow the flesh versus to follow the spirit. Paul says that the works or practices of the flesh are obvious, like everybody knows these. And even Greek philosophers would identify these behaviors as um, sort of like fleshly nature. And Paul goes ahead and, and lists them. He says, now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, some translations say orgies, and anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They won't reap the benefits of walking by the Spirit, Paul says. Now, this is a big list. It's not even exhaustive, because Paul says there are other things that are similar. Uh, that should be obvious to them as well. Uh, He lists all these behaviors, but they really could fit into about four different categories if we wanted to break them down. And the first one, um, you know, these are borrowed from a a commentator, but, you know, first category is illicit sex. You know, we've got, you know, promiscuity and um, sexual immorality, he says. Um, Sex for them, for the Galatians, sex that is outside the boundaries of Christian marriage. So for women in the Roman world, they could only have sex with their husbands. Men could have sex with almost anyone they wanted to, as long as that person was um, in a lower class status. And so um, there was power associated, it was hierarchical, but in general they had kind of all this freedom for sexual activity outside of marriage, and women didn't. Um, The second category of behaviors that Paul mentions is what we would call religious heresy, like worshiping idols, practicing sorcery or witchcraft. And that word for witchcraft and sorcery, it has to do with um, pharmaceuticals, like creating poisons probably, to poison other people as, as a way to take vengeance on them. Definitely not in line with the leading of the Spirit. And then the third category, and largest category, probably the one that the Galatians struggled with the most, was related to relationship conflict, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger in their church, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, basically relational chaos and the absence of love and unity. And then finally, the last category could be called wild excess and he includes drunkenness, carousing, like I said, orgies and things like that. So in the culture surrounding this uh, surrounding the Galatian Christians, there were pagans who held, uh, you know, events in honor of a pagan god, and they would get drunk and they would have orgies and obviously an absence of spirit-led behavior here. Um, Some of these behaviors that we see listed are things that we may not relate to very much. You know, I don't know any young professionals trying to poison coworkers. Like, I just haven't heard that recently it's hard for me to imagine a lot of my um, university friends, colleagues um, engaging in orgies to pagan gods, you know, and getting getting drunk while they do it. But we shouldn't paint ourselves out of this picture yet, because we all have a sinful nature, and we should regularly be aware of that. Like we should be aware that there's an internal struggle that we have against it. If we're never aware of a struggle, it might just be because we're going with that, you know, most of the time. But as you practice walking by the Spirit, I do think it's easier to just kind of um, ignore that sinful nature. Maybe we won't struggle as much, but I just think no matter how mature I get, no matter how long I'm following Jesus, I think my flesh is probably going to be clamoring for something that I probably shouldn't indulge it in. And it could be that your flesh clamors to get the last word in an argument. Uh, And and stirring up strife, you know, it it could be your flesh clamors to own something that a friend has. And so you're stirred up with jealousy. Uh, It could be your flesh wants to squash the opposition. Anybody who doesn't agree with you, family member, colleague, and maybe you're prone to outbursts of anger and cursing at them. It could be your flesh wants to be at the top of whatever program or profession you're in, and your selfish ambition will permit you to... Um, blame others for things that aren't their fault, step on others in order to get what you want. Uh, It could be that your flesh clamors for sex with someone outside of the context of Christian marriage. Um, We are sexual beings, God made us that way, but you know, back when Paul is writing, Christianity, this this new way of following Christ and understanding scripture, it had a culture-defying view. Of sex, of sex and sexuality, and I do think it still does have a culture-defying view. Um, for example, our culture today says that the minimum requirement for sexual activity, um, the the best moral standard that we should look to is consent. Right? It is this idea of both people giving consent for sexual interaction, and it doesn't really matter, like if this takes place inside marriage or outside marriage. It doesn't matter if one person's married and the other's not. It doesn't matter if it's a one-night stand. It doesn't matter if there's violence or sadomasochism involved, as long as there is consent, as long as both people agree. And some people call this a very transactional view of sex. Um, This, I agree, you agree, we're going to give this thing to each other, and we'll go with this. You know, for this moment, or this day, or a month, or for however long the relationship goes, But a Christian worldview would defy our cultural values today by saying that love for a neighbor, like love for another with whom you have sexual intimacy, requires actually more than the consent of both parties. Instead of consent, a Christian worldview demands super consent, as Tim Keller would say. Uh, And super consent means That in order to love God and one's neighbor, then one's whole life must be given to the person with whom they are having sex. And that takes the place in this form of covenantal committed Christian marriage, which is a symbol. Scripture says it became a a symbol as they began to understand what Christ did on the cross and how God released his Holy Spirit to us. But Christian marriage became the symbol of God's marriage with us through the Holy Spirit, of God giving his whole life on the cross so that he could be united with us through the Holy Spirit. So I'll tell you guys what my flesh clamors for all the time. Uh, It clamors to go shopping and spend money, and it clamors to eat sugar a lot. And if I indulged it all the time, I'd probably be about three times the size that I am now, and I'd probably have about $20,000 in credit card debt. Um, Maybe some of you can relate to this. But guess what, if I was three times the size that I am now and I had $20,000 in credit card debt, I would not be able to love my neighbor well. I would be physically restricted, I would be sick, um, enslaved to a sugar addiction, I would be enslaved to debt, unable to be generous with my neighbor when there's a need, unable to give my resources, because I would be enslaved to those credit card companies. We must be people who are Spirit-led, who are walking by the Spirit, following the lead of the Spirit when the flesh clamors for things that aren't best for us, best for our neighbor, and out of love for God. So how can we be sure we're following the Spirit or in step with the Spirit? Paul offers a litmus test here in verse 22 and verse 23, and he says this is what the result of walking by the Spirit looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. So the litmus test for a life that is led by the Spirit is that all these attributes will characterize us more and more. They'll characterize our behavior, they'll characterize our relationships. And all of these attributes put together are really the fruit of the spirit. They all make up the apple. Um, They go together. They should all be present to indicate spirit-led behavior. Because if you're gentle but you don't have self-control, then that's not the fruit of the spirit, right? If you're faithful to your wife and you don't have an affair and yet you curse at her or or coerce her into doing things she doesn't want to do, that's not the fruit of the spirit. So love is the first attribute listed here, and it's the basis from which all of the other attributes flow. Peace results from a loving relationship. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, they're all going to characterize our interactions with other people. And these are the opposite of selfish ambition, right? Rage, strife, outbursts of anger. You can see how they're in opposition to the practices of the flesh, as Paul says, they they don't coexist well. And then finally the last attribute of the fruit is self-control. And self-control really is what is required for us to say no when we should say no to the desires of you know that little goblin inside of us. Um, self-control is what keeps us from, you know, uh, overspending, overeating, boiling over with rage, drinking to excess, avoiding sexual situations that don't truly demonstrate love for God and neighbor in the way that scripture um, sees it. So it might be that you guys are feeling, I don't know, I don't know if you're feeling overwhelmed listening to this message, or maybe you've become aware of like, oh, there is a war inside me. Um, Maybe I am using my freedom at times for, self-indulgence rather than walking in step with the Spirit. Um, I do hope that you don't hear this message as a list of naughty and nice behaviors that um, you know we need to like make sure that we measure up to or don't have in our lives. Uh, because I think if we see it that way, we miss uh, a really beautiful picture that I think is trying to be presented here. And I'll quote my pastor friend Samuel because I loved what he said this week. He said, this passage really reveals that as Christians, we have the freedom to restrict our opportunity in one area, right, to practice the works of the flesh, so that we have an opportunity for something greater, for something more beautiful. Um, By using our freedom to restrict our opportunities to indulge the sinful nature, we create the possibility for something better. So we create the possibility for faithfulness to God rather than a one-night stand. We create the possibility for faithfulness peace-filled, loving relationships. We create the possibility when we're led by the Spirit for our money and our time and our resources to be used as a blessing and as a good for our neighbor um, and used to impact people's lives uh, for eternity. Uh, we even create the opportunity to, for other people to glimpse and experience the love of God through our lives as they engage with us as we walk by the Spirit. I say repeatedly that part of the mission of City Church is to reveal God's love to one another and to the world around us. And when we walk in step with the Spirit, we have an opportunity to do that. I don't talk about my, my own biological mother very often. You guys know my stepmom, but um, when I was a kid, she struggled with mental illness, some disordered behavior. I didn't grow up having a peace-filled relationship with her. Um, there was strife, There's conflict, there was rage, um, jealousy, envy that characterized um, the, the relationship and the situation at home. And, and so because of Christ and because of just leaning into what it means to walk in the spirit, I've had to learn how to become a mother, how to learn how to become a mom. And I'm not perfect. I struggle with my sinful nature. I get impatient. Sometimes my tone is harsh. My children can all bear witness to this. Um, but I am trying, and they're not even nodding, or saying amen, so whatever, okay, (laughs) Um, but I, you know, I know that as I walk by the Spirit, you know, that God is empowering me to create something better, and a few years ago, one of the kids called while I had a friend over for coffee, and there was a crisis at school, and I don't remember what it was now, but I was kind of just like talking her through, okay, well, what are your options, what could you do, are you fine with this, and Then we hung up the phone, and there was a plan. And the friend who was there in my living room had her jaw just open when I hung up the phone. And she was close to tears saying, I never heard my parents talk to me like that. I needed someone to talk to me like that. I needed it. And I don't tell you that to blow my own horn, but to tell you that as we walk by the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit characterizes our relationships, other people will see and they will taste the character and the nature of God. People will see that through you as you walk by the Spirit. So my prayer for each one of us, whenever we are engaging with Scripture, we feel like we're, you know, being reminded of something maybe we knew a while back, or we're, you know, understanding something new about the ways of God or the ways of God's kingdom, my prayer is that we'll all be stirred to respond faithfully. And not just walk away and say, well, that was an interesting mental exercise, you know, but to allow the truth to hit our hearts and uh, seek a way to respond to God. And as I was in this passage this week, I wanted to respond to God. I I could see places in my life where that greedy goblin was clamoring for things and how sometimes I indulge it and I'm not using self-control. I don't want that. I want to walk by the Spirit. So there, there is something really powerful about confession—just acknowledging um, those things to God, of just saying, "God, I am missing the mark here, and I want Your help. I need Your empowerment by the Spirit." Uh, and we don't confess so that God will love us. We confess because He already does, and He wants to empower us to um, walk in His ways. So. I like to sometimes give us all 15, 20 seconds just to have a moment of silence. I just ask that you, you know, just maybe bow your head, don't look around at your neighbor. You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but, um, but just, like, take a moment to reflect, um, to, just, to just see if there's anything that you want to name to God, um, to name to the Holy Spirit, and then we'll pray a, a corporate prayer of confession together. I want to invite you now to join with me in, in praying this prayer of confession before we go into communion. The words should be up on the screen here. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. I want us to just turn to communion now because this is the place where we acknowledge and we remember the the cross is the place where God reclaimed the world as as Brian Zahn says I like how he says it where Jesus um, refounded the world so that it wasn't organized around a system of violence and greed but at the cross, the world was refounded on the love of God, expressed in forgiveness. And so um, I'll read you what the Apostle Paul said about Jesus' instructions to his disciples to take communion. This is in 1 Corinthians 11:26. 26. Um, Paul says, On the night that he, Jesus, was handed over to suffering and death, Jesus took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I invite you to take the little wafer here, but in remembrance of, of Jesus' body on the cross. Go ahead and try to open your, the juice here. might be a little tricky. Um, after supper, Paul says... He took the cup of wine and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. So let's take the cup together this morning. You just join with me in prayer for a minute. Lord, I thank you that you love us and you made us for yourself. And when we'd been subject to sin and death and this uh, enslaved to the law, enslaved to our sinful nature, you sent Jesus to just share our human nature, to live and die as one of us in order to reconcile us to you. We thank you for this gift. I pray that you would refresh um, those who sit in this room, those who are watching online, you would refresh our hearts, refresh our bodies so that we would be better able to love you and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want to invite you now. This is something we do at the end of every service. We pray the prayer of St. Francis together. It's a way that we kind of look out of the service, back, look at you know where we're going to go afterward, our homes, our workspaces, our our friends, And so um, we pray this in order to just get a right perspective as we go forward. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me still love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Oh, Lord. Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it's in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like more information about our City Church community, go online to www.iowacity.church.